1: Traveling through life alone means you have enough faith and trust in yourself, so you don't need to follow the stories that others put in your head, because those stories will almost certainly benefit the storytellers, but they probably won't benefit you or society or the planet. We can know and trust ourselves well enough not to journey too far into imaginary worlds. We don't need to listen to stories someone tells us or stories we tell ourselves we don't need to follow mass movements. There are too many pitfalls along that pathway. Presence in the now is sufficient. Presence in the real world is sufficient. Valerie Telles interviews John Turk, the author of Tracking Lions, Myth, and Wilderness in Samburu. John Turk earned a PhD in organic chemistry in 1971 and was nominated by National Geographic as one of the top ten adventurers of the year in 2012. Between these bookends, John co-authored the first college-level environmental science textbook in North America, followed by 30 additional texts in environmental, physical, and earth sciences. At the same time, he kayaked around Cape Horn and across the North Pacific from Japan to Alaska, mountain biked across the northern Gobi and Mongolia, and made numerous first ski descents and first rock climbing ascents around the globe. During extended travel in northeast Siberia, John's worldview was altered by Mulinot, a Siberian shaman, and his later books reflect these spiritual journeys. John has published four trade books, Cold Oceans, HarperCollins, In the Wake of the Jomon McGraw Hill, The Raven's Gift, St. Martin's Press, and Crocodiles and Ice, Ulican Press. His newest project, Tracking Lion's Myth and Wilderness in Samburu, to be published by Rocky Mountain Books in September 2021, delves more deeply into a mind-body-spirit theme, supported by adventure storytelling, Integrated with an anthropological view of the role of art and mythology in human development. Meet John Turk at johnturk.net. Here is the interview with John Turk.
0: In your own words, who is Dr. John Turk?
2: Well, I'm a 75 year old guy. I got a PhD in organic chemistry a long time ago, 50 years ago. And then I became an adventurer. And in my journeys of extreme adventure on the coast of Siberia, I met a 94 year old Koryak shaman. And she called me. She told me, she says, come here, come to our village. It will be good if you do. Those four or five words changed my life, and that was uh, about 20 years ago. And since then, I've continued being John Turk. I'm the ex-scientist. I'm the writer. But I've been on this mission, on this journey, on this quest that Moulinot, the old shaman, sent me on.
0: Yes, and we had a conversation a few weeks ago about your first book or the book on that story. And then uh, the book that we are talking today is "Tracking Lions Myth and the Wilderness in Samburu. I'll be asking you specific questions in the moment, John. But for now, let me ask you some of the uh, warm-up questions. The first one today is about the mind and thoughts. What is the mind and what are thoughts? Are they, from your perspective, (laughs) located in the brain or this is a non-local phenomenon?
2: Yeah. The mind is the most complicated structure probably in the universe. Yeah. And I certainly don't understand it. Does the mind... Is the mind staying in the brain? Is the mind partly in the heart? Mm -hmm. There are studies that show that there are neurons, brain-like neurons in the heart. So do we think from the heart? Do we think from the mind? Or is somehow the mind connected to the cosmos? And these are very important questions, and... I have no way to answer those. So personally, I just give up. <laughs> <laughs> do you have some and, theories? <laughs> some uh, <ideas>? I don't <laughs> gonna have any theories. <laughs> What's important to me <laughs> is really three things. My presence. Now, how do, how do I gain that presence? Does that come from the cosmos? Does that come from the heart? Does that come from my father speaking to me? I don't know. But I'm trying very hard in my life to channel whatever power I have to gain presence. Mm. The other point Mm. that I'm trying to channel my energy towards is love, unconditional love. What is love? Where does it come from? Well, I can't describe that. I can't tell you whether it's cosmic love or heart love or mind love or love from my father. But I know the difference internally between love and anger. And I want to embrace unconditional love. And so asking where presence and love comes from. It's a really good question, but it's beyond me. I'm just a simple guy. I can't answer those questions, but I know the direction. I know very clearly the journey I want to take. How
0: would you describe presence, John?
2: Simply living in the moment and not living in the future and living in, or living in the past. And it's an interesting thing because we, to survive we need to live in the past and in the future. So when you're, let's take an extreme example that we'll be talking about later. You're in the jungle, you're in the savanna, and there are lions out there. So you see a movement in the bushes, and you have to identify, the last time I saw that movement, what was it? Oh, I can't identify it's a lion now but i think that's a lion from my past experience right. or you look at a set of tracks in the in the animal tracks in the sand and you say oh i know from past experience that that is a lion or let's take a simple example somebody throws a ball and you look into the future of where that ball is going to land and you run to catch the ball so survival involves some degree of living in the past and living in the future, remembering what happened and projecting that memory into the future. But contentment involves being only in the moment. I am here, I am walking, I feel the ground underneath my feet, I see this spider web on the clothesline, On my way out to do my morning chores, I stop. I look at the spider web. What a marvelous Mm -hmm, structure. (laughs) Oh, I know I have Mm -hmm. chores to do. I have to go out and do such and such and such and such for such and such a reason. But in this moment, it's all about the spider web. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So the presence and the contentment is a absolute shutting off of the worries, the 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 methods of the world. And then it gets very complicated because you can be tracking a lion or catching a ball or seeing something in the bushes, and in one way your mind is making these these connections to tell you what it is so you can survive, so you don't get eaten, so you catch the ball. But the presence is puts you in that absolute moment of seeing the ball in the air and catching it, of seeing the track and being there at oneness with the track. So it's a little bit fuzzy around the edges the way I see it, but when you feel it, you know it's there. You see a movement in the bushes and that's a lion and that lion could eat me. Right. Being present is, that's fine. Mm. That's wonderful. Mm. That's like the spider web on the clothesline. Isn't that, isn't this moment just perfect? Mm. And there you go. Yeah. <laughs> we could talk about that for a long time.
0: Well, in a way, because the way you describe presence, there's no time. So it's not even being in the moment. It's becoming the moment, isn't it? Thank
2: you for that. Yes. Thank you. That's a beautiful way of saying it, Valeria. It comes to me that way.
0: Another question I have for you, John, is about how do you define true power?
2: It True power is, well, Let me put it this way. When I was in Siberia, one of the old women that I met said to me, if you lose the magic in your life, you lose your power. Mm. She didn't say, if you lose the keys to your bulldozer, you lose your power. (laughs) So let's turn that around. Power becomes related to magic. Mm. And now... We're going to come into the new book, Tracking Lions, Myth and Wilderness in Samburu, where the question is, the first question I asked in that book is how did human beings survive on the savanna when they were slower than a jaguar, smaller teeth than a lion, didn't smell as well as a hyena, didn't hear as well as a uh, Elephant and so on and so forth. Right. We are a very weak and fragile animal, Mm -hmm. but somehow we survived. And we survived because we were able to go into this brain that we talked about just a minute ago and find acute awareness, acute togetherness. We Part of the magic, part of the power of the humanity comes from community, mm-hmm. from each other. Yeah. And that leads us back into love. Right. Love is a big, is a huge component of human power.
0: Three more questions for you, John, the initial questions. What is another word for
2: nature? For nature? Yeah. <laughs> One word. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the cosmos. Mm. Everything. Everything outside of it's just reality. <laughs> it's it's just what is. I just read a book about fungus. How fungus connects everything and There's billions and billions and billions of miles of fungal strains, mycelium, going through everything. And it's all interconnected. Every blade of grass is connected to every tree, is connected to every animal, is connected to everything. Mm. So nature is all about connection. And the total interdependence of everything just like one human is weak one blade of grass is weak one tree is weak Mm. every tree needs a forest every blade of grass needs a meadow Mm. every person needs a tribe so what we're talking about is interconnection is the power of recognizing and loving the entire system.
0: And that sounds like unconditional love, doesn't it?
2: Unconditional love.
0: Two more questions. What is your idea of peace?
2: Peace is the absence of anger.
0: Hmm.
2: Peace is acceptance and love. Yeah. It's total acceptance. I'm going to die, die one of these days, okay? You're going to die one of these days. If I worry about the fact, it might be tomorrow, it might be in 25 years, it doesn't matter, I'm going to die. If I worry about that, I am not at peace. Why? Because I am not accepting. So peace is accepting. If somebody says something that I don't like or some country or some politician or some something does something that I don't like and then I get angry, that's not peace. Peace is unconditional love. Mm -hmm. That person did something and that person had to do that because they had to do that. Mm -hmm. I was caught in an avalanche a number of years ago. Yeah. And a horrendous avalanche. I was skiing a big line in the backcountry mountains, and I made a mistake. I cut an avalanche loose and got washed down the mountainside and almost died. Okay, was that mountain mad at me? No. That mountain lived without a story. That was the flow of what happened. and partly because I made a mistake. I was careless. But the mountain was not angry at me. So I think to be at peace, we have to recognize if somebody does something nasty to me, they knock my hat off. I'm walking down the street and somebody knocks my hat off. I think we have to treat that like the avalanche. That person really was in control of themselves. And peace is accept- acceptance of that and unconditional love. Now, we can try to avoid those people. We can try to avoid being in the avalanche. But once we're in this situation, I think we have to just embrace whatever happens.
0: Yes, even if we respond in a negative way, that's also unconditional love. So there's nothing that is, it is excluded. I know you're suggesting that we behave and act in certain ways, but that's a challenge to do, isn't it? Because that goes back to control, trying to control how we respond to life when we are life itself.
2: Well, I figure that there are three or four people in the history of humanity, Buddha and Jesus and a few others, who manage to live what we're talking about all the time. And I think part of peace is to realize that I'm not Jesus and I'm not Buddha and I'm not another one of those people who can be present, be loving, be unconditional love all the time. So part of the peace is when I do fall off the wagon, when I do something really stupid and get angry at my wife or whatever, I think part of peace is not only do I have to forgive others, I have to forgive myself. Hope Oh ho, ho John you were so silly you got angry at whatever you got angry at your chainsaw your chainsaw didn't start so you got angry at it let go and laugh at yourself when my wife chris died tragically instantaneously in an accident i went into deep mourning i was destroyed emotionally and the only way to escape it, the only way to find my way through the grief was to embrace it. I am so sad. Let, let the grief come in. I understand that presence, if I had real presence, that moment is gone. She's passed. The present is a present without her, and I should have no grief. But that doesn't work. Right? <laughs> yes, it doesn't so work that way. you have the grief and you say, I'm a flawed person. I have the grief. I embrace it. Let it come in. Don't mm-hmm. fight it. Mm-hmm. In the same way, if you get angry at your chainsaw, ha, 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 John, you are really <laughs> funny. That is really funny. And mm-hmm. don't beat yourself up at it. Right. So, yeah.
0: That's <laughs> a beautiful message. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Embrace it all. Right. Which is another, it seems like a practice, uh, doesn't it, John? That might be the practice that Jesus and Buddha, they were engaged in. That was a commitment, maybe the 100% commitment to that kind of expression. And my last warm-up question is about positive thinking. What do you mean when you say that? You mentioned those words in your book,
2: in your book. We're going to go back to presence and love. Mm, Right, right, that's what it meant. Mm. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but positive thinking is not thinking I'm going to get rich tomorrow. That's not positive thinking. (laughs) Positive thinking is not if I do A, then something wonderful will happen to me. If I... Whatever, fix my chainsaw, then my chainsaw will start. <laughs> That's not positive thinking. Positive thinking is being open to whatever happens, mm. which is presence, mm. which is what we've been talking about. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Being open. Oh, I love those. I love your wisdom and it's very clear. It's very very clear to me. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, John. So you wrote the book Tracking Lions, Myth and Wilderness in Samburu. Talk to me about the main inspiration and purpose of writing this book.
2: This book has been germinating in my head for 50 years. It comes back to the question, really the fundamental question, where does evil come from? And why are people so often not nice to one another? Opposite of what we've just been talking about. So I went to Samburu, which is a indigenous nation embedded in Northeastern Kenya. To work on a lion tracking project, so we go off to me. We, me, and the village headman, Deepa, the tracker, are on a journey tracking a lion. And as we leave, I'm kind of thinking, are we going to have some kind of weaponry in case this tracking goes bad on us yeah. and we have to defend ourselves? Well, I'm given a wooden club a weapon that's probably 5 million-year-old technology. (laughs) And if the lion turns on us and comes charging out of the bushes with the intent to eat me, I'm supposed to defend myself with this wooden club. So at first I'm angry. Why doesn't somebody give me a gun? Why doesn't somebody give me even a machete? And then what we just talked about, the anger turns into wondrous presence. And I am in the stone age, I have to get my power, not through this mechanism, this gun, but through my relationship with Deepa, my care, our care for each other, My awareness, my presence is my weapon. Mm. And I am overfilled with joy. And from that joy, I go back into the anthropology of the Stone Age to see where, when people began to cooperate in cooperative tribes. And the book goes into a look at, the, at when our population began to explode, when people created art. The interesting thing, and back to the tracking lion, is that the human population grew long before we had sophisticated tools and weaponry. I gave a TED Talk some time ago. It said, Big Brain, No Tools. Our big brain evolved to cooperate, to find magic mm. in the tribe, mm. to be loving, mm. unconditional love. That's anthropological fact. Mm. So all of this goes on. And then some weeks later, there was a mild war and insurrection. And then all of a sudden, there were people out there with guns who wanted to kidnap me, kill me, wow. cut off my head, shoot me. And then in a very personal, visceral way, I am faced head-to-head with, why are people evil? My. And then I had to go... Again, back into history to trace the history of tribalism, how the tribe is a loving entity, is a loving, embracing family that gives us power. Yeah. But then when people congregated into cities with the lots of people, leaders, evil people, used the techniques of storytelling of myth mm-hmm of tribalism to turn us against them mm-hmm. and out here I'm in the savannah now with deep again and this time we're carrying AK-47s wow. because it's not a lion it's people Bye. and these people don't know me I don't owe them money I didn't sleep with their wife or girlfriend why do they want to kill me yeah. because they see me as a symbol. So we have the good and the evil. And we I don't want in my life and my message to stress the evil, but it exists. So then I ask myself, and the book asks, where is your path forward? Where can we escape into the presence, into unconditional love? And... There are many ways to do this. A musician playing an oboe is lost in that world of playing the oboe. I'm not an oboe player. person trained in meditation can totally escape into the world of meditation. And there are a million ways to do this. But I have spent 50 years in a very intense relationship with nature. And so I I can only teach what I know. And I know that nature wipes the stories clean from your brain.
0: I love the way in your book you say, traveling through life alone means that you have enough faith and trust in yourself so you don't need to follow the stories that others put in your head, because those stories will almost certainly benefit the storytellers, but they probably won't benefit you or society or the planet.
2: Thank you for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that. Storytelling. Would you draw the line on storytelling, John? When you talk about presence, to me, it comes as this moment as it is, as it is happened, everything happening, not in the moment even, just becoming the moment, as I mentioned earlier. Is that possible really to navigate this reality without stories, without belief systems?
2: Hmm. <laughs> when I was in Siberia, my five years in Siberia, going back to my previous book, the one lesson I learned was that our power, our ability to survive comes from three sources. It comes from the shaman, the hunter, and the tundra. And each of these words is a loaded word with a metaphor. The shaman, our spiritual journey, our pure unconditional love, our presence, our removal from the real world, into this world of unconditional bliss. The hunter, but at the same time we have to eat. And the hunter is the person who feeds us. And again, the hunter is the provider. It's just a a symbol here. Yeah. And the tundra, the tundra being the foundation of it all. You asked in your question, where do you draw the line? I can't draw a line for you. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) Right.
2: Because every moment of every day Mm. we are faced with the reality of the shaman, the hunter, and Mm. the tundra. We are faced with I, I thought about this for a long time. I'm jumping just a little bit. You grow a garden, you grow you put a seed in the ground. And that seed is going to turn into a tomato plant. And sometime down the road, you're going to have a tomato, which will be yummy. Are you living in the future? Well, no, not really. I think what presence means is I know that planting this seed in the future will produce a tomato. But presence means I'm not bummed that I'm working so hard so I can get the tomato. I'm enjoying every moment, planting the Mm -hmm. seed, putting the earth over it, watering it, caring for it, weeding it. Every moment is joyous. And then eating the tomato is also joyous. Mm -hmm. So there's a story. I plant the seed and I end up with a tomato and the presence, and the presence of every moment. And we need both to survive. You have to know the trajectory of this growth of this tomato plant to eat. Right. So the story becomes important, but at the same time, mm. we remove ourselves from the story at every instant in time. I am joyously watering this tomato plant I am out here in the nature with the slugs and the few garter snakes and I'm pulling the weeds (laughs) and I'm putting them down to create mulch so that this loving tomato plant will grow. Mm -hmm. So our stories, the hunter, and our spiritual journey, the shaman, are intertwined like the mycelium, like the fungus that connects all of life. I'm not gonna draw a line between them.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So it is the paradox. So it's um, holding the space for both the story and no story at the same time. Right. Yeah, that might be...
2: And, yeah, and we can't create too much of a story about our lack of stories or where the story ends (laughs) and the story begins.
0: Uh, Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And that's um, an interesting thing about survival, too, is that uh, whatever we are doing here to survive in the future, it might not happen. We might just uh, not be here to experience whatever the story is telling us about, (laughs) right? Enjoying whatever it is in the future. Uh, but we seem to miss that the magic, yeah, and it is magical to know that this might be it. this is it, and this is <laughs> beautiful <laughs> in your book, you say you use a term, actually, you say we need to understand ourselves and to make peace with our thank too much know it all brains. <laughs> Did you create this term? um John, thank too much, know it all brains. <laughs>
2: Yeah yeah, I mean it's funny. <laughs> our think too much know it all brain. Um you know, we think too much. Thinking is telling ourselves stories all the time. We're we're always somewhere else. I I posted something on um Facebook the other day. We live in the forest in Montana and we don't have indoor plumbing, we have an outhouse, right? Yeah. So Every morning when I have to go to the bathroom, I go to the outhouse. And every morning, I pass this blue spruce tree that I planted when Chris, my wife, died. And the other day, a few days ago, I stopped at the tree and just to embrace it and to love it and to be near this tree, to be at this tree. And I was embracing this tree, it's now about twice as tall as I am, and I looked inside the branches and there was a bird's nest. And I looked in the bird's nest and it was a year old, not this year's bird's nest. So for a year, Mm -hmm. I've been walking past this tree on the way to the outhouse every single morning and I did not see the bird, and I did not know there was a bird family live there, living there. Why? Right. Because when I was on my way to the outhouse, every morning for a year, <laughs> my brain was thinking, what am I going to do today? What do I have in the computer? What appointments do I have? And I wasn't looking right. at what was happening. And so... Your think too much brain is just that. Your brain thinks too much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is very simple. <laughs> very, very simple. Very clear. And you miss so much. Yeah. You miss the bird. Yeah. Family living in the tree. Mm. And your brain mm. thinks that it's so important because it knows everything. Well, you have to come to terms with your brain. You have to have a discussion with your brain. (laughs) And you say, brain, I know that you think you know it all because you think. But I think that thinking (laughs) makes you know less. So you have this discussion, you have this argument with the brain all the time. So Um. hopefully you come out on top that your brain lets you think enough so that you survive. (laughs) <laughs> and at the same time, your brain relaxes enough so you see the bird's nest in the blue spruce tree.
0: What do you see or th- what do you perceive beyond or besides experience? Is there anything besides experience?
2: Well, I think by asking that question, you're putting it as people being in the center of things. Mm, right, right, And right. Let's go back to the the fungal networks, the billions of miles of fungus that mm. are connecting every living thing on this earth. Mm. They don't have think too much brains. Yeah. <laughs> right. But True. at the same time, they care for each other or they they feed each other. They keep the forest, the mm. grasslands the planet, the cornfield, they keep the planet alive. Mm. And there's this network of life. And when we talk about experience, Mm. I think we want to step out of experience into this wordless network Mm. of life. Mm. That... The, the mycelium the fungal networks if a this is scientific fact if a birch tree in the forest is sick the fungal networks will take nutrients food from a healthy spruce tree and feed the birch tree this is established fact so and why do they do that well let's not put the why in there but the net result is that the whole forest survives and is healthy mm-hmm. and once the forest is survives and healthy then the fungal networks have a good place to live mm-hmm. so rather than talk about experience which is kind of a thought process right. I want to try to think of myself as a fungus. Mm. I need to eat. So I eat the tomato that I grew, right? But at the same time, the tomato will only grow if I give back to the soil. If I do my part in making the whole system healthy, that the earthworms have a place, that the garter snake has a place, that everything has its place. And if I help make everything healthy, then the tomato will come out really yummy and I'll eat the tomato. Mm. And I see it more, I'd I'd like to think of myself more as a fungus than a person.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it's the, the natural movement. Uh, This natural happening that takes care of everything. And we don't need to call it experience. It's just magic happening. And we do miss that by labeling everything. It's starting with the me, right? The I that experiences this in a limited way. So, John, I know we talked off record about a passage, reading a passage in your book. So I'll leave it up to you. And We're almost at the end. Would you like to read a passage in your book?
2: Great. Thank you, Valerie. Here we go.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I set out on this journey with the poorly articulated quest to find guidelines within the ancient wisdoms that had endowed our ancestors with the power to survive. Along this journey, through the savanna with real and metaphorical lions in the bushes, And then through a historical passage into the cognitive, agricultural, industrial, scientific, and computer revolutions, I glimpse the realities and mythologies that bind people together, but also the mythologies that people kill each other and the planet for. It becomes terrifying to see how societal forces for good can so easily morph into rationales for evil. Whenever I face this terror, I feel the imperative to stop, calm down, focus, recalibrate. If I ignore the grand generalizations about humankind and concentrate instead on who I am and what I have control over, I open the floodgates of my brain to find uncomplicated sensual awareness without mythologies of any kind. Yes, humans are hardwired to follow the pathways of myth, but we don't have to go there. We are hardwired for violence as well, but we can journey through life without killing anyone if we choose to. Each one of us has a plastic cerebral cortex and it is imperative in this modern world, teetering on the, gr- on the brink, to do our best to crank that cortex into positive action. One good place to start, we can know and trust ourselves well enough not to journey too far into imaginary worlds. We don't need to listen to stories someone tells us or stories we tell ourselves. We don't need to follow mass movements. There are too many pitfalls along that pathway. Presence in the now is sufficient. Presence in the real world is sufficient.
0: Yes. I love the way you read this, too. I love the message. I love everything about it, the resonance of it. My body was responding to it. That's interesting. Thank you, John, for your presence in this reality and your contribution to love, really, unconditional love, by being that. Thank you.
2: Well, thank you, Valeria, for all the amazing work that you're doing and your amazing website and your all of your podcasts and the huge reach that you have in putting out um, sharing these messages that you're sharing. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: Thank you, John, Thank you for the encouragement. the body appreciates. <laughs> I guess I, the only question I have for you now is where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects?
2: Yeah, the book, Tracking, Lions, Myth, and Wilderness in Samburu, published by Rocky Mountain Books, is due to be published to be available September 3rd, so a little bit over a month from now. My website is J-O-N, net and... As I've said many times, go onto my website. If you have any questions, if you want to talk about my book or you have ideas or disagreement or whatever, send me an email. I, I will respond. And we're really hoping that in our own small way, what you're doing, Valeria, what I'm doing, is helping to make the world a little bit of a better place.
0: Thank you again, John. And we'll talk soon. Bye for now.
2: Okay. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye.
0: Thank
1: you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about John Turk and his work, please visit johnturk.net.